List ye now to the unveiling of mystery, list to the symbols of mystery I give. Make of it a religion, for only thus will its essence remain. Regions there are two between this life and the Great One, traveled by the souls who depart from this earth. Duat, the home of the powers of illusion, Sekhet Hetzbet, the house of the gods, Osiris, the symbol of the guard of the portal, who turns back the souls of unworthy men. Beyond lies the sphere of the heaven-born powers, Arulu, the land where the great ones have passed. There, when my work among men is finished, will I join the great ones of my ancient home. Seven are the mansions of the house of the mighty, three guards the portal of each house from the darkness, fifteen the ways that lead to Duat, Twelve are the houses of the Lords of Illusion, facing four ways, each of them different. Forty and two are the great powers judging the dead who seek for the portal. Four are the sons of Horus, two are the guards of the east and west of Isis, the mother who pleads for her children, queen of the moon reflecting the sun. Ba is the essence living forever, Ka is the shadow that man knows as life. Ba cometh not until Ka is incarnate. These are mysteries to preserve through the ages. Keys are they of life and of death. Hear ye now the mysteries of mysteries. Learn of the circle beginningless and endless, the form of he who is one and in all. Listen and hear it. Go forth and apply it. Thus will ye travel the way that I go. Mystery in mystery, yet clear to the light born. The secret of all I now will reveal. Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As you, if any of you have watched us before, you might notice that we're in a different setting. We are no longer in our home in France right now. We're just um, taking a little leave and we're in London right now and we're just looking after your aunt's cat. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <We're> cat sitting. <laughs> yeah, we're cat sitting. She's a lovely, lovely cat. Yeah. And yeah, so we we still wanted to record a podcast today. So we don't have our proper lighting or anything, but we're here, and we got a cool episode for you. Yeah, exciting. As you heard in the intro, there was kind of a very mysterious, esoteric sort of reading. And this reading comes, as you probably deduced from the title, from the mythical Emerald Tablets of Thoth the Atlantean. Yeah, I think many of us in the spiritual field have awareness, at least, around the Emerald Tablets. I've attempted to read it once. Um, Hmm. So it's still on my Kindle, and I definitely want to go back and check that out. Yeah. But I think it just has uh, so many insights for us. Yeah, I've read it once through, um, and then I've also listened to it here and there. It's very dense, <laughs> and the language is quite archaic, but there's some really cool notions and secrets that are hidden in there and actually even used um one a couple of the practices that is listed within the emerald tablets some of the esoteric practices 
I did it once in this magic circle that some, me and some of my university friends made where we were doing some magic and we were chanting one of the phrases that Thoth gives us. Mm. And then I also used some of his techniques in kind of like a in tandem with my astral projection experience because as we begin to dive into here we see that Thoth is astral projecting all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> but first we have to start from the beginning because some of you who are tuning in might not know what the emerald tablets are and for someone like myself I actually didn't really truly know much of the history around the emerald tablets until I started doing more research into it and surprisingly I found that there are a number of names that we might know who are linked to this text this ancient esoteric text in more ways than one and one of those names one of those figures is no one else but Sir Isaac Newton and we'll get into him a little bit later but for now let's begin. So the Emerald Tablets are also known as the Smargadine Tablet or the Tabula Smargadina and it is a mysterious artifact that is reputed to contain the secret of alchemy and hermetic tradition. It is supposedly of an unknown origin though there are several um, theories and the tablet was first mentioned in the writings of the ancient Egyptian philosopher Hermes Trismegistus, who is considered to be the father of alchemy. And if, if anyone has ever tried looking into alchemy, you'll, you'll notice like this, her I don't know if you've seen it, it's like this hermetic book, it's black with this triangle with the, the hermetic signs mm -hmm. in it, and that shows, you know, I think it's the seven laws or 11 laws of hermetic philosophy. And this is, that was all taken from the wisdom of the Emerald Tablets. And if you don't know, Hermetica is the founding principle of Western esotericism. It's, you know, what Crowley, you know, must have studied, like everything that is esoteric, alchemical, you know, um, occult it comes from this heritage the heritage of Thoth and Hermes Trismegistus they're the same person one and the same and the Hermetica is said to be the source of all wisdom and knowledge and that the Emerald Tablet is said to be the key to understanding this wisdom the text of the Emerald Tablet is inscribed in a cryptic language that has baffled scholars for centuries However, there are a number of different interpretations of the tablet's meaning, and it continues to be a subject of great interest and speculation. So the Emerald Tablet was given its name because it was found cast in a slab of emerald with all these strange symbols written upon its surface. I can just imagine what it would be like to look upon it. Yeah. and stare into the secrets that were waiting to be told. In Tiana, it is rumored that the tablet was discovered in a caved tomb beneath the statue of Hermes, clutched tightly in the hand of Trismegistus. The emerald tablet was discovered in the 4th century by Italian explorer Giordano de Balinas, in addition to several languages, uh, translated, sorry, 
in addition to several languages over the centuries, and it is a pillar of Western alchemy. And it has even significantly influenced medieval Renaissance alchemy. And because of the esoteric nature of the Emerald Tablet text, it is not a simple interpretation to make. In one interpretation, the text describes seven phases of alchemical transformation, which are the corrosion, disillusion, separation, conjunction, fermentation, distillation, and coagulation. And in many alchemical texts, they use metals and elements to describe um, these alchemical processes. But most alchemists worth their name say that these elements, metals, pure physical matter, are all metaphors, an external manifestation of the alchemical journey within the soul. And as everyone knows, the main alchemical goal is to transform lead into gold, to transmute and make gold. And this is a metaphor for reaching enlightenment within the soul. And speaking of soul, the other translation is that I mean, interpretation is that the Emerald Tablets were in fact a map for the soul after death and the spiritual steps required to ascend to new heights of mastery. And despite the various interpretations, none of their authors appear to have a truly clear knowledge of their entire truth. And within the tablets themselves, Soth said that there were 12 meanings to these tablets. And based on your spiritual attainment, one would read it differently. And this has kind of been talked about in many different traditions. For me, I have a big history with the old Indian texts and the Vedic texts. And they themselves said that a student, given the exact same teachings, can, based on their level of understanding, can deduce many different meanings from what is being taught. But let's get back to the Emerald Tablets and why are they so important? Well, this enigmatic inscription is thought to hold the secrets of the world. Pretty, <laughs> pretty uh, light subject. Yeah. <laughs> Just the secrets of the world and the, the cosmos. Statement. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and it has influenced, you know, not just alchemists and esoteric practitioners, but it has found its way into a range of fiction in the recent centuries and ra ranging from novels to legends and even films. And some say that the Emerald Tablets can be traced to at least the 8th century when it was mentioned in the writings of Bellinus. A message from Hermes Trismegistus is said to be on the tablet, and one of the texts attributed to this tablet is one of the core texts of Western alchemy and is thought to contain the Philosopher's Stone secret. Any of you Harry Potter fans know that the Philosopher's Stone is an allegory for immortality. And in Harry Potter, they depicted it as a physical stone. In many alchem alchemical practitioners believe that the Philosopher's Stone is something within you. And it's more of an allegorical metaphor to refer to this finding of immortality within the soul. Despite its enormous importance, the significance of its existence cannot be overstated. It serves as the conduit, the Emerald Tablets, between the physical and spiritual worlds. 
and it says that the soul of the world is a positive unifying force that drives all things to their logical conclusion. And gold is an essential element and a component of the emerald tablet, which was created as a result of the conversion of various elements into it. Because it was resistant to corrosion and acid, it was able to last for a long time. And the emerald tablet is a sacred relic that is believed to hold the power of a god's soul. So let's get into the emerald tablets now. Uh, actually, before we do that, I did want to talk about um, a little about the structure of the Emerald Tablets. So the Emerald Tablets of Thoth the Atlantean are 13 in total, are split into 13 different parts um, of the original collection. And there are two extra parts, parts, 14 and 15, which were translated by Dr. Doriel in our supplemental additional analysis and kind of breakdowns of the first 13 tablets and yeah he did his translation in 1925 and despite its mysterious or origins many have imputed great significance to the text some of its famous translator include Roger Bacon Isaac Newton and even Helena Blavatsky do you know Helena Blavatsky it rings a bell. She's the f one of the most famous fe female mystics of the West. Yeah. But yeah, she's very famous. But what caught my attention the most was the fact that English scientist Isaac Newton and also potential alchemist was one who dove very deep into this text. And many believe that the Emerald Tablets could have actually influenced his principles of modern physics including the laws of motion and the theory of universal gravity. And many scholars noted that his principles of gravity are similar to the text found in the tablet, where it says that the force is above all force and that it penetrates every solid thing. It said that Newton spent 30 years to uncover the formula for the Philosopher's Stone as evidenced by his papers, which were recently released. Um, after having been kept away in a vault by the famed economist John Maynard Keynes. So we might go into a whole episode on Isaac Newton kind of conspiracy and what other things yeah. he did that isn't in the mainstream because that's quite interesting. Um, and yeah, who knows what Isaac Newton was able to deduce from it. But that being said, anyone who is somewhat spiritually aware will know that the text is heavily metaphorical and that to truly understand the meanings of the Emerald Tablets, one must read between the lines. Hmm. So, who is Thoth? Who is Hermes? We have many ideas. In Egypt, Thoth was the god of wisdom and writing and knowledge, right? And Hermes is the founder of Western alchemy. They were said to be the same person. But in the Emerald Tablets, we get a deeper understanding of who Thoth was. Thoth is an Atlantean priest king who ruled over Egypt for 16,000 years. After the sinking of his land, he went to Egypt where he established his colony. It is Thoth who built the Great Pyramid of Giza and he built it as a repository for Atlantean knowledge 
and a place for initiating great souls such as Solomon and Jesus Christ into the mysteries of the cosmos. Thoth, in his third incarnation, Hermes Mitrismegistus, the thrice-born, wrote the emerald tablets which became the basis for the ancient mysteries. The tablets were left in the care of the pyramid priests, and from here they were taken to the Maya of the South Americas. So very interesting. And here's a quote from one of the first tablets, which is called The History of Thoth the Atlantean. Wish were we the wisdom of the children of light who dwell among us. Strong were we with the power drawn from the eternal fire. And all of these, greatest among the children of men, was my father Thothmi, keeper of the great temple, link between the children of light who dwelt within the temple and the races of men who inhabited the ten islands. And it was said that Thoth was part of a different race, and he foresaw a great cataclysm coming to the earth. And amongst this race, there were many different advanced civilizations living on earth, and his island, Atlantis, was one of them. And foreseeing this, he got on a boat or a craft, some say it was a spaceship, we're not sure, and traveled to the land of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, where he found men, nothing more than beasts with sharp sticks and spears. And they even tried to attack Thoth when he first arrived. Of course. But he was part of this advanced civilization. And in the text, it says, with his scepter, he emitted a frequency and froze the humans, stunned them. And he only released them once they finally submitted and went down onto their knees because they were going to try and attack them. So he's like, freeze. But, and it was there where he began to speak to them and teach them the knowledge of his lost civilization. And it was there that men were said to have been raised from what they were before cavemen into what we are now. So Thoth speaks of the degeneration of the hearts of the Atlanteans that led to their downfall and the great cataclysm. Only the Temple of Light survived atop a mountain on Undal, which was the capital city that he was king. And within it, the fortunate few who were saved, but it sank too beneath the waves to emerge in some future time. And those that were saved, including Thoth, left in the great ship of the master, rising above the temple as though in a submarine. When in Egypt, the inhabitants who were described as nothing more than cavemen with sticks and spears tried to destroy them, Thoth paralyzed them with a ray of vibration from his staff and only released when they groveled at his feet. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> It is like a similar to a lot of stories we've heard on this podcast before where right. um, there is this like wise man that comes out of nowhere who has all this advanced knowledge and is, you know, came and turned humanity around. Yeah. And we, we see it in so many different cultures. Yeah, we, that's what I'm saying. We, a lot of like, we go through a lot of ancient history on this um, podcast and yeah, it's like a very similar story we've heard before. Yeah, and when you 
if you've watched um, Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix, he does a very, very good job of illustrating throughout many different cultures a similar myth. Mm. A cataclysm resulting in a great flood, resulting in these wise people appearing to men and teaching them mm. their knowledge. Yeah. And this is literally myths throughout dozens of cultures. It's crazy. And so to see it here is, you know, it's just like, oh, there's, you know, there's yeah. more proof. There's that, something to that story. Yeah. Why does it keep showing up, like, all over the world in so much ancient history? Yeah. So, within this tablet, Thoth says, Deep in the mysteries of life I have traveled, seeking and searching for that which is hidden. List ye, O man, and be wise, far neath the earth crust, in the halls of Amenti, mysteries I saw that are hidden from men. Oft I have journeyed the deep hidden passage, looked on the light that is life among men. So this quote suggests that Thoth has traveled deep within the earth to a place called the Halls of Amenti. And these will come up a bit later in, as, we, as he kind of extrapolates on what the Halls of Amenti are later on in his text. And it is, in short, a mystical location where he discovered hidden mysteries and knowledge that are not known to ordinary humans. He implies that the ancient Egyptians possessed great wisdom and knowledge that were passed down to them from a distant past. Thoth also suggests that he played a role in transmitting some of his knowledge to the people of Chem, and that he was respected and revered as a great teacher and wise man. And we can see up until the fall of ancient Egypt, Thoth was always regarded as the god of wisdom, and perhaps he in his form may have even trans you know began to transmit all the different forces you know time space all these concepts to humans who apparently were no more than cavemen mm. and thoth begins the tablets by introducing himself as a being from a time and place beyond human memory a time when atlantis still existed he claims to have played a key role in the society of Atlantis, serving as a priest, a king, and a magician. He then goes on to describe the downfall of Atlantis and the catastrophic events that led to its destruction. Thoth explains that he foresaw the coming disaster and he made pre preparations to preserve the knowledge and wisdom of Atlantis. He created a set of tablets that contained all the teachings and secrets of the ancient civilization, which he placed in a secret location known as the Halls of Amenti. These tablets would serve as a guide for those who came after Atlantis, providing them with the knowledge they needed to rebuild civilization and evolve. It's like exactly what Graham Hancock yeah. <laughs> talks about, you know? So this is where Thoth gets into the halls of Amenti. And I have my own theories after reading through this text a couple times around what the halls of Amenti actually are. And Tablet 2 is thus titled after them. So, according to Thoth, there is a passage to Amenti, the underworld beneath the sunken islands of Atlantis, from beneath the Great Pyramid. The pyramid he built using the power that overcomes Earth's gravity. 
now he's he's using some sort of sonic levitation some sort of levitating power and in the text he says he it's it's in his scepter that he can aim his scepter and raise things yeah so this passage to the halls of Amenti reaches almost to the summit of the pyramid, and at the apex he placed a crystal that drew the force from out of the ether. The tablets contain several reference to the advanced technology and knowledge possessed by the ancient Egyptians and the Atlanteans, who were said to have built the ancient structures. And one relevant quote from the tablets is, Great were the works of the children of Chem, built by the old men of Atlantis, they suffered not the energies to loosen or change their course. All things grew and blossomed in their time. And when the great cycle was completed, the downfall of the elemental gods drew near. So even just in that couple sentences, there's a lot to unpack. But it, he's kind of talking about a golden age, you know, this golden age that they created where everything was blossoming, everyone was growing, a civilization was flourishing. And he talks about a great cycle. And through different cultures, the Mayan culture, the Indian culture, and the Egyptian culture, mainly that I have studied, we see this idea of cyclical patterns of consciousness, where there's rise and fall of consciousness. And these are over cycles of like 10 to 12,000 years, sometimes longer. And right now, through Indian texts, we are, on, we are kind of at the bottom. Uh, rising up in consciousness right now um, but nowhere near even the silver age which is said to be a time of great advancement and harmony with nature but humans haven't quite reached their pinnacle and then once we hit the golden age that's when you'll see the floating flying people and <laughs> clear waters with dolphins swimming in them and rainbows and all sorts of amazing things. Um, and these, we, we, if we're unconscious beings, we are subject to the cyclical rise and fall of consciousness. But there are those masters who remove them, who, you know, attain such high levels of consciousness that they are no longer, you know, influenced by the gravity of these cosmic cycles. And we can see it in the seasons, you know, things change naturally. And our consciousness is not separate from the physical matter. In fact, our consciousness, our mind is part of the universe. And we are born from the dust of stars colliding. We would not be here if neutron stars didn't explode, if atoms didn't collide. We're all part of that great cosmic symphony. And that's what he's saying. So what do you think about that so far? Just checking we're still recording. We're good. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm excited to find out about each of the tablets and, and what they, you know, each represent. Mm. And yeah, it's interesting how, again, all the different cultures sort of line up together, like you were mentioning the yeah. Indian concept of the, like, consciousness cycle and, yeah, it's yeah, and I think the Mayans, when they were saying 2020, I mean 2012, was not like an end of a world, but an end of a consciousness cycle. Mm. You know, I think that's, because the Mayans also had their very profound calendar and stuff, and able to read the stars very well. And they too, 
I think, got their knowledge from the ancient Toltecs, which were before the Mayans and the Aztecs. And the Toltecs were incredible people with like pyramids with liquid mercury running beneath it and very advanced um, technology as well and very spiritually advanced. Some of the Toltec spiritual tradition is really fascinating and um, I would recommend looking into it because it's very cool. There's a lot of astral projection. They believe that every soul has an animal familiar, an astral animal familiar. I read this one book written by one of these old shamans studying this and said that some of the, you know, shamans would even have battles with their familiars and stuff. Spirit <laughs> familiars. So it's really, really cool stuff. Pokemon style. <laughs> yeah. And they've, um, Golden Compass style, actually. If you haven't Which I have not read, read that, the then. Golden Compass, it's really cool. Everyone has their own animal familiar. Yeah. It's re- I love that book. It's a very beautiful storytelling it's one of the rare fantasies where you find innocence magic still imbued within it and beautiful storytelling and world but let's get back to the emerald tablet so the concept as we were talking about in tablet two is all about the halls of amente amenti te and they're a central theme throughout the rest of the tablets um, these halls are described as a place of great power and mystery where ancient knowledge and wisdom are stored and preserved for future generations. According to the tablets, the halls of Amenti have existed since ancient times, long before the rise and fall of Atlantis. And the tablets suggest that the halls of Amenti are associated with magic and the summoning of beings from other dimensions, suggesting that the halls are a place of great power. And within the text, Thoth always refers to dark magic. But on my reading of it, I'm not thinking like, oh, dark magic, like he never mentions like sacrifice or harm or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But his mysteries are surrounded in a very void like quality, like space, you know, the depths of space and maybe the bottom of the ocean, you know, very, very deep teachings. And he always speaks of ancient secrets and the dark mysteries, the mysteries that are beyond the veil, shrouded in shadows, unable to be seen. And I think that's what he means by dark um, within these texts. And, and also to note that these are translations and interpretations, and a lot, often a lot can be lost. But what I'm thinking about is the primordial silence, the primordial void, the birthing of the beginning, you know, the womb of the universe, this black, dark space. And I think the halls of Amenti are kind of like that because he says they're deep within the earth. But I think it, he, he says the tablets suggest that the halls of Amenti are guarded by powerful beings and that those who seek to enter the halls must pass certain tests or trials to prove themselves worthy. The tablets also suggest that those who enter the halls must be pure of heart and mind and free of negative energy and intentions. So this also makes me believe that the darkness isn't referring to like a negative sort of thing because you have to be pure of heart and mind to be able to pass through and I think that in ancient Egypt they have a lot of mysticism around guarding the knowledge so that it is not used in the wrong way because the knowledge is power and once you you know can gain a hold of it you can you know misuse it and Thoth describes that 
the Hall of Amente is associated with the idea of the afterlife and is described as a place where the souls of the deceased go to be judged and receive guidance before moving on to their next spiritual destination. And he describes that they are located in a far off place and accessible only to those who have passed the tests of initiation. And I don't think these are religious initiations. I think these are initiations of the soul. And just from my little experience of like astral projection and exploring these realms and meeting entities and going to these to things that could be described as halls you know they're like these geometric if you've ever been to a crypt or a tomb and you go inside and it's like deep underground and it's it's got all these stone pillars with these kind of like arching up things going into the ceiling that kind of thing it's like that infinitely and within it is the presence of a deity and it's like it's like you're in this astral hall and i really think that this is what thoth is talking about that this dimension these halls of amenti are a dimension to enter and that you can only enter it um, through some sort of astral projection or the soul leaving the body and i think that's what the pyramids were for you know you have the sarcophagus in the pyramid that's never been found there's never a body been found in it and there's all these ancient texts talking about how part of the spiritual practice was entering the sarcophagus that the sarcophagus was you know a metaphor for death that's where people go to die and to have an astral projection experience you have to die before you your physical body dies it's like a feeling of dying and if you ever take DMT or some powerful hallucinogenic and you go through the stages of removing yourself from your ego and transcending into a cosmic sort of consciousness, it's a death experience. And this is definitely, in my opinion, what I think Thoth is talking about here. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah, I definitely could be. No. <laughs> I don't think they're a physical place, the halls of Amenti. Oh, no, no. I don't yeah. think. Kind of as, like, reminding me in the Kabbalah, like, the Bina sphere, mm. which is that the dark feminine sphere, right. yeah. um, which is, like, where all creation comes from, but it is in, like, the pillar of, um, like judgment and like you know the dark pillar it's in yeah. black on the side of the black pillar it's the top sphere and yeah it represents that dark kind of feminine energy and that's what i was sort of right. getting images of while you were speaking and thinking of that like yeah definitely and yeah i thought of you when you actually when i was saying that i was like thinking of you when you were telling me about that mm. kabbalah teaching earlier um so yeah what one interesting thing that also kind of triggers something in my memory, and I don't know if I'm drawing connections where I'm not meant to be, but he said that the various chambers within the halls are said to contain ancient records and knowledge from civilizations long forgotten. Kind of reminds me a bit of the Akashic records, some sort of place where you can access uh, infinite knowledge, mm. some sort of thing like that. Like a library. Yeah, uh, a library of the soul and of the cosmic memory um so not physical books but <laughs> you know yeah i definitely do feel like there is some kind of realm that is the akashic records that keeps you know 
hmm. knowledge on all things that have happened on Earth, and it's probably in Akashic Records for every planet. Yeah, or one for the cosmos, yeah. the entire cosmos. And he also describes the Halls of Amenti as a place of healing and regeneration. And this makes me think of deep states of meditation when you're going into those delta states of mind. Most people lose consciousness when we drop below sleep. Theta is dreaming. And then once we go into um, delta, that is the deep sleep. You know, and that we need that deep sleep because that's where we regenerate. That's where we heal. That's where we recover. And I think that's also a place because he refers to them as these pools of um, water to go and heal. And I think um, from my practice of yoga nidra, which is a dream yoga, they talk about this place. And the practice is learning how to stay aware while you drop into the lower deeper levels of consciousness and most people will only imagine nothingness but that nothingness is actually the memory of being there you know in that deep sleep because when you go there you're not actually a personality you're not your identity or your ego you're an awareness simply observing this deeper state of reality and when you wake up we think oh we don't have any memory of it but then at the same time we do we have this deep memory of this dark space of sleep and relaxation and healing. <clears throat> so here's another quote. He who in courage would dare the dark realms, let him be purified first by long fasting, lie in the sarcophagus of stone in my chamber, then to reveal I to him the great mysteries. So here, once again, he's referring to lying in the sarcophagus as the practice. Mm. And you have this freaking sarcophagus in the king's chamber. So it's the king of Atlantis. It's this black sarcophagus, huge, you know, tons and tons. And it's so high up. And it's like right below the central shaft that leads right up to the top of mm. the pyramid. It's like... This, I feel like these sarcophagus within the pyramids are these ascension tools. It's like these, it's almost like they're spacecrafts for the soul to like leave the body. I really think that, that that's what, uh, that these pyramids could be used for. You have all this energy channeling through it. And then when they're activated, it's like a, it's like a, taking DMT without taking it. It's mm. just like blasting your soul out of your body and all this resonance. Like everyone who goes to the great pyramids and actually are able to enter it, speak of the resonance within the Pyramid of Giza. And I've spent 11 nights in the Great Pyramid now. At that time, it was only my second time. And while my friend was laying in the sarcophagus, I would lean over into the sarcophagus and hum at the resonance of the sarcophagus. The chamber has its own resonance frequency, and it, it most definitely will resonate very loudly. So it'll start to go, whoa, 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 like, like it's an engine turning on, like very, very loudly. Um, while I was standing above and then resonating the chamber to find that exact note uh, that would resonate it, which is 117 hertz, and there's recordings, I might find one, of this ambient resonance that's just humming in the pyramid. And it's it's inactive now, you know, it's 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 so old, thousands and thousands of years old. And according to Hermes, the pyramids were actually um, 
built 36,000 years ago, which is very different from the 6,000 year period mm. that we're given in mainstream archaeology. We don't know for certain, but that's what the claim is. And um, so who knows? Um, oh, no, it actually says the tablets were written 36,000 years ago. So I'm not sure, actually. I, I <laughs> always the thought of the pyramids more like as a... Um, was it Tesla who said it was sort of just like an energy generator? Mm -hmm. um, like where they would have had like f free like Wi-Fi, like air-bound electricity. Yeah, air-bound electricity. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So like it, I'm, I'm always sort of on, on the fence. It's like, was it like a place where, you know, you could have these spiritual experiences I think it could be both or was it that or was it like just a tomb for the super rich no it definitely wasn't a tomb it may have been used but, for a I tomb think but that they did that later on there's no mention of con the construction of the pyramids in any single archaeological find any archaeological text within ancient Egypt there's no construction of it you know? that's why I think it would be hidden even if they found the construction of it, it would be hidden because it's going to generate this free electricity, wireless mm. electricity. And I think, like, you know, history has shown us, even people who come up with, like, free electricity options now, you know, they're often silenced. So why wouldn't that be suppressed? Like, if that information was out there, like, they're going to be like, oh, this is just a tomb for the dead, rich pharaohs but like you know i don't know i really do think there's something to test his theory about that yeah and I, I think he's i think he's right as well i think they were energy generators i also think it's possible that they could have put people in them that it yeah. was like it, it served two functions maybe yeah um so yeah that's the kind of the halls of amenti uh, so tablet three goes over some and it's called the key of wisdom tablet three and it provides some insight into the principles and practices that are necessary to achieve spiritual enlightenment and unlock the secrets of the universe according to Stoth. In this in this tablet he speaks about the interconnectedness of the universe and how everything is energy. The key to understanding the universe is unlocking its secrets and it's by working with this energy. And that sounds very familiar. You just spoke about Nikola Tesla, and mm. he says the exact same thing, mm -hmm. that everything is energy, and to look at the universe as if it is energy. Um, he provides some guidance on how individuals can work with this energy, and the tablet begins with Thoth emphasizing the importance of raising um, your light. So he, he, the quote is, Raise thou the light in thine own body, only by effort can thou acquire it. And this makes me think of the notion of the kundalini energy that we even spoke about on one of our old podcast episodes. Um, because throughout most Indian texts, they talk about raising the energy from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. Mm -hmm. And when that energy, so this is what it is. You know, imagine being sexually charged. Okay. It's that sexual charge energy. But most of the time, because... We're in a very material universe, in a very material time, and the way we've been conditioned. Our sexual energy goes straight from the base of the spine into our reproductive organs. And that's our base instinct as humans, is to re reproduce, right? And mm -hmm. to procreate. 
the traditions within India is to channel that sexual energy away from your reproductive organs and channel it up your spinal column because it is just energy and you can move that energy how you want. And that's a lot of the practice is learning how to control that energy. And I call it sexual energy, but it's not, it's not, it's converted into sexual energy once it hits your reproductive organs. Yeah, but, but imagine where does that it come from it? It comes from your perineum, apparently. No, but I mean like where did the energy muster up from? Is it because you get turned on? Not when you're doing your practices. It's not from, because of that. Yeah, but I mean like, so can you use different energy? Like, is it... Oh, I'm turned on. Let me try and do something with this energy rather than like. No, no, no. So it's like there's an energy that's neutral in the base of your spine. When it hits your reproductive organs, you feel that sexual. De- so when you you feel turned on, you're pulling from that energy. You're pulling it's from that not energy the into sexual your sexual energy that no. creates it. So when you feel inspired yeah it's your it's your creation energy cook like to to art you know like when you get that tingle in your body you know that energy where you feel this rush coming up you but doesn't it normally come from something like a thought an idea you can no because in deep meditations if you actually try to focus on this energy and there are you know, especially when you go into the chakra sadhana, which is the chakra practice of kundalini tantra, not sexual at all. Um, you we did do a whole yeah, episode on this. We if did you a whole are interested, episode. it was like the um, yogic superpowers, superpowers yeah. episode. When you're actually focusing on your perineum, you begin to feel the tingling and building up of energy there, and you it it it's almost like a gateway. There, there's a gateway that is normally open that will you know like imagine like a river flowing and there's different like openings if you close one opening it won't flow that way anymore right so the sexual gate is normally always opened although you know some people will close it you know if they're closed off to that kind of energy but when the sexual gate opens that energy runs through to the sexual organs but if you close that gate and that's called um Muladhara Bandha, and Bandha is lock. So that's when you close up that gate, you seal that gate, and instead of flowing to there, it flows upwards. Mm. And it takes a buildup of energy to be able to raise it high enough to the crown of your head. When it reaches the crown of your head, that's when you experience the divine nectar, the Amrita. And the feeling is said to be akin to an orgasm full body that is a hundred times stronger like a lot times stronger you know and it's and they say that the orgasm is nothing but a sneeze compared to this feeling of pure bliss and ecstasy when the energy the spiritual energy rises up to the crown of the head so yeah this is what he's talking about thou light in thine own body because they say raise the light raise the energy to the crown of your head and yeah, he's, he talks about activating the flow of energy through the body and activating the spiritual centers in the body. And even in Avatar, The Last Airbender, there's a kind of mm. depiction of that. Um, and Thoth emphasizes the importance of collect- connecting with the divine, stating, 
Turn thy thoughts upwards to the light, and thou shalt receive the power to will. And this is kind of a higher connection and talking about manifestation, because Thoth was said to have built the temples within Atlantis using his mind, and that his power of alchemy was so strong that he could use his mind to materialize things. That was the strength of this these beings. And it wasn't every being within the society. Thoth was a master within it. So there were people who, you know, not everyone could manifest things at will. Mm. But this is, he he talks kind of about the, about how to manifest things. And it is such on a deep level that one must know the fundamental structure and building blocks of life. One must know how to access the consciousness of the fundamental atoms. It's really deep to use your mind to structure the atoms, build them into a form from spirit and ether until eventually they condense into the grosser states of matter and form something. So if you, let's say, want to manifest water, you have to know exactly what water is, mm. what elements, what chemical compounds, how much you need, how they join together, how they bind. And you have to, it's not just knowing the consciousness, you have to be that consciousness and bind it together. Mm. So it's, it's very complex um, and highly realized state of being mm. that one must achieve. We talk about manifestation in a very childish form today. Yeah. It's like a very primitive form today. And it's because we're in one of those lower cycles. And, and you know, that's how it is. But the master... It still, like, works. It still works, yeah. right? Yeah. And I've seen some incredible acts of manifestation, but I've never produced something out of thin air. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. He, he talks about transmuting energy and transmuting like negative energy into positive energy within the body. But overall, Tablet 3 serves as a guide for individuals who seek to unlock the secrets of the universe and achieve a deeper level of spiritual understanding. Um, and Tablet 4 is kind of space-born. This is a lot of Thoth talking about his own journey to enlightenment. And he says... Just, I'm just going to go over these briefly because we have 13 to cover. So yeah. I realize we're kind yeah, of going we a bit, a bit slow. deep. On the... Yeah. So this is just write a quick quote, which you can interpret. So deep in the silence, first ye must linger until at last ye are free from desire. Conquer by silence the bondage of words, abstaining from eating until ye have conquered desire for food that is the bondage of soul. Center thy soul in the place of thy consciousness, shaking it free from the bonds of the night. Place in thy mind, place the, ma the mage thou desireth. Picture the place thou that desireth to see. Vibrate back and forth with thy power. So here at the end, he's kind of talking about learning how to, you know, go to an astral place that you want to do. Mm -hmm you want to go to because a lot of the time when you astral project you can maybe just leave your body straight away and be taken to some sort of astral dimension that you didn't plan to go but if you can project yourself with vision and focus you can go to the place you desire to see and it talks about him kind of exploring the different astral dimensions talking about angles that men do not understand so different dimensions 
um, that are more than the third dimension and yeah, all of that. And he, he does focus and say to, to focus on your heart and follow that as well. So there's a lot of good, good wisdom here. And yeah, so there's quotes like, in the formless voids where chaos reigns and no shape is, there I wandered. Or then in my heart grew there a great longing to conquer the pathway that led to the stars. I, in that space-born wisdom, there lies the key to thy power. So it's just kind of some little glimpses into his journey to enlightenment. Okay, so this is one I do want to focus on um, a bit more, and the rest will kind of just touch on. So, Tablet 5, I think, is important because it speaks of the dwellers of Unam. And in the mighty Atlantis, the keeper of the way of the master of Unal, Horlet, dwelt in the temple built not by the children of men. Horlet, not of the race of men, showed the path to attainment. He divided Atlantis into ten kingdoms, ruled by men, and in other he built the temple from his thoughts. It covered miles, deep in its heart, the essence of light. He filled its chambers with forms called forth from the ether. Three of them became his messengers to the king of Atlantis. On the island of Undal he placed the teachers of light to men, each trained for fifteen years. Thoth was summoned to the temple by one of the three messengers. There Thoth trained and then found Amenti. Atlantis fell because some too proud of their knowledge dared to enter Amenti in order to get greater knowledge. All the islands were destroyed except Unal and the part of the island where the sons of the dwellers, teachers of the light, lived. So the people, the race of beings before men, were called the sons of the dwellers. Mm. It's kind of... Um, interesting because in the book of Enoch he talks about the children of the watchers mm. something similar feeling there sons of the dwellers teacher the children of the watchers and the watchers were said to have given men knowledge and eventually he left in his ark or spaceship which today apparently lies buried beneath the sphinx and I thought that was very cool because yeah. he writes that in the text. I've that, heard about that. That the ark yeah. is beneath the Sphinx. Um, and it's very interesting that there are, you know, these these assessments, you know, like ground penetrating radar of the Sphinx with all these chambers underneath. And yet no one has been allowed to explore them. Yeah. And also, like, if this was written so long ago, um, you know, was it even around the Sphinx? Well, they must have created it. Yeah. The Sphinx as well as the pyramid. Yeah, so it feels like it is older than we've been told. Yeah, and in, in Ancient Apocalypse, um, Graham Hancock talks about like the reason, like why were was there a Sphinx pointing to the rising sun? Um, and he he's like, why is there a lion there? Because in the age of Egypt that we talk about, it was in the age of Taurus. Or, yeah, in Taurus. And so why were they honoring a lion to mark the rising of the sun on the equinox? And he, he theorizes that, that actually because of the weather erosion on the Sphinx, the rain pattern and falls, there was no such weather 
like that in Egypt in the time we know of Egypt, but there was that sort of weather 12,000 years ago, um, right at the end of the Ice Age where a great cataclysm happened. And what was the sun in and what were the constellations in at that time? It was the constellations of Leo. So it makes more sense that there was a sphinx marking that rising mm -hmm. sun because it was in the age of Leo 12,000 years ago. So, yeah, the dwellers of Unal are described as a race of beings who existed on Earth before the arrival of humans. They are said to have lived in great cities and possessed advanced technology and knowledge. And according to Thoth, the dwellers of Unal are a highly advanced civilization. And they possess knowledge and technology that allow them to travel through time and space. And they built great cities and structures that were beyond anything humans had ever seen. And when I think of this civilization, I think of the stargates. You know, there are different stargates located across the earth. And we had a podcast on that. And I think that's in our ones that are backlogged on Anchor and stuff. Mm. So, um, and that, you know, that um, stone you found in Peru, that yeah. stone gateway. And I think that, you know, the whole world was connected at that point through mm -hmm. these gates. And it was even said that Thoth and his people, well, it wasn't Thoth in particular, but one of his people went and actually built the stone circles. And I think that these stone circles and all these gateways were actually portals from one place to another on the earth. But that's just conjecture from my part because it's not actually written here. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. And, yeah, he says that the dwellers of Unal were responsible for the creation of many of the ancient megalithic structures, such as the pyramids of Egypt and the stone circles of Britain. And in the Emerald Tablets, Thoth claims to have interacted with the dwellers of Unal because he was actually born into the society and the dwellers of Unal were even like a higher race than the Atlanteans. And he states that they're, they are still present on Earth but they exist in a different dimension or frequency and are not visible to human eyes. Inner Earth! That's what I think. Yeah. Inner Earth. Um, because even all over, we have stories of sinking cities in Tibet. We have that there was the Shambhala, this magical city that sunk, and then the beings went into the earth, and that they're, they're literally still monks today who guard cave entrances that they believe are the entrances to inner earth. Like still today, mm. thousands and thousands of years, generations down the line. And it must be pretty important to be still upholding that tradition. So, yeah. There's tablet six is about the key to magic. He talks about some of the hermetic laws that we all know as above, so below. That sort of thing um, comes in here. And he talks about the different magics and um, even, I think it's in this one where he states some of the chanting and practices one can do. Tablet seven, um, wait a second. Yeah, tablet seven of the Emerald Tablets is called the Key of Mysteries. And here he suggests that individuals must seek knowledge and wisdom it's interesting because I was thinking whilst we were going through it a bit about, you know, like numerology because the tablets, you know, each have a number and like you think of five and five represents sort of big change, um, 
you know, radical change and uh, adventure and mm. freedom and stuff. And that's when they're talking about all these changes being made on the earth, you know, like with the stone circles being put in and um, all that. And then, um, you know, then with seven, seven is the mystical number of knowledge yeah. and information. And right. um, you know, it's the 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 scholars' number, the mystics' number, the occultists' number. Mm. You know, and um, it's all about gathering a lot of this kind of spiritual knowledge. Um, oh, cool! And then that's can you know really lined up with what you said about yeah number seven as well. Yeah, and in the tablet one, it is like history is emergent yeah about i me because yeah. one is all about the self me yeah. um, my then, journey the yeah. initiator is one yeah, yeah. Mm. um tablet nine this one you skipped eight yeah i think i've actually um tablet eight. Oh yeah here he he uh he talks more about the practices and he talks about some meditations and he states, sit ye in a circle, use that which ye have learned and draw in the power from the cosmic sky. Seek ye, O man, to find the great pathway that leads to eternal life. So here he suggests some of the, the practices and he has all these practices about visualizing the different directions and using, you have to, you know, have your head to the west or something or to, to the setting sun and the rising sun um, in practices of different astral projection. He talks about this um, chanting these words, Zin Uru, and that it's these are the words of power and that he gives to man and to find you have to find the resonance and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's... He talks about all is changeable, all is law, and kind of being able to adapt and let go of the self to grow. So there's, these are some of the teachings in Tablet 8. Um, tablet 9 is more about achieving balance in all aspects of life and talking about opposing forces. So I think this is where Newton might have gotten his concepts of the universal law and gravity and these opposing forces because it was Newton who really started talking about like um, you know, when an action is made, there's a reaction. Mm. And so, yeah, he, he states all things exist by law. The manifestations of the law are the same in all, yet all things are different. So you get more of these cryptic, cryptic sayings. And, um, yeah, he talks about harmony and saying that it is the flow of life and to find balance within the cosmos. Oh, so it's actually in Tablet 10 where he talks about the chanting, the Zin Uru. And the Tablet 10 is called the Key of Time. And he further beseeches the children of Kem to turn away from the darkness to the light and speaks of the great void from which all existence was created with the power of thought. When he describes the dweller, um, whether his thoughts was eternal, he is told that the law of time came into being so that a eternal thought could exist. Quote, time does not move, rather we move through time. Time does not change, rather, ra rather we change in time. Time separates events and gives them coherence, 
and even though in time ye are separate, yet still are one in all times existent. Mm. Which resonates a lot, you know? Yeah, and it really makes sense for the number 10 as well. Yeah. Because the 10 is like the end of a cycle and like leaving the end of a cycle and joining it up with the start of another because you have the one and the zero, you know, so you mm. have the infinite and the beginning. Right. So it's like, it's those two coming together. It's like, yeah. everything is connected. Everything is a cycle. Yeah. Like time is all one. 10 really represents that because you're bringing together, you know, yeah. the end of time and the beginning of time. It yeah. represents both. Yeah. It's very interesting that he, that time was thought into being so that eternal thought could exist. Because time, without time, we would not be able to perceive thought in linear motions or in any sort of motions. Because I think even in higher dimensions, when you begin to perceive time, it's no longer linear, but in different shapes. We think of time is especially now in linear mode because of our language and the structure of our society and everything and the native americans were always very estranged by the idea and they said that men were straight lines the white men were straight lines whereas the natives were circles mm -hmm. and to think of the circle as the cyclical representation and that's a very 2d image right and that's a very basic 2d image which is which can come from, you know, a culture still learning the ways, but as we begin to ascend into four dimensions, five dimensions, six dimensions, and we begin to think of tesseracts, you know, um, angles within angles that constantly shifting and moving and, you know, polygons and um, multidimensional hexagons and all these things that are and eight dimensional shapes that actually contain all structure within the universe. When we think of these, like, we begin to see the higher structures and that time pervades through all these shapes and currents and flows within the universe. And I really like that he's like, time does not change, rather we change in time. Time does not move, rather we move through time. It's, it's something to contemplate on and time is very complex and um, I've been shown some glimpses here and there, but it's, yeah. It's it's almost yeah it's it has a deep profound meaning that I can't quite articulate you know yeah it like, gives you a feeling but it doesn't I can't quite bring that to words yeah and I do feel like it is a concept that we were brought into as yeah. well um like w when I was channeling the Akashic records and I asked them about time and they were like like time you know just like what what saying it doesn't exist right um, literally quote here time and space are illusions yeah <laughs> so i mean that everything is happening at the same time like every moment of your life and they the akashic record like masters were saying to me you know like this is not something you can understand or be expected to understand you know in yeah. your human form yeah just know this like to be true yeah and then like if you look at some tribes and i know i've mentioned this before but it's like the belief of <clears throat> belief of aging is like as well like we age within time right mm. so it's all tied into that concept of time but then there's these tribes who are very like cut off and um, I feel like they're really good evidence of if you're not like, 
you know, tuned in to the idea of time and the idea of aging and like time passing. Um, you know, they've got like women in their sixties still giving birth. Like they're mm. they're not um, they're not growing grey hair. Like they don't yeah. they don't believe in aging. It is not a part of their belief system. Right. Right. And then you hear these old stories about Atlantis and stuff. And I'm sure you've heard this in many stuff um things that you've read is that how um the people of those times they would age up until the the age of 30 and they would never age beyond that like mm. within their physical bodies or within yeah. their appearance yeah. right that would they would grow to their healthy adult age and stay that for the rest of their lives yeah they didn't wither and yeah um you know, so I do feel like that's a definitely really interesting idea. It's something I do think about a lot. I do think it's a lot about your beliefs and how connected to time you are. Yeah. You know, when the more you think about, oh, I'm getting old, I'm getting old. I think those kind of people age quicker. Yeah. You know, and you when... don't think about time passing and like bringing these numbers into your reality too much yeah it doesn't affect you as much mm. and when you think of when i've seen these like yogis not modern yogis these are yogis that you won't you'll only get brief black and white pictures of them um and you see them they're like 80 years old and they're they have wrinkles around their eyes and they're always they're smiling mm -hmm. but their skin is like baby smooth. Yeah, but even like a kid has wrinkles around their eyes right. when they're smiling. Yeah, yeah. And right? Yeah, because... and their skin is like baby smooth and shiny and radiant. Yeah. You know, because they've they've unlocked something. They've unlocked a sort of secret to timelessness. And these yogis are the ones who were recorded leaving their bodies at, and choosing to die and leave their body behind. Mm. You know, they didn't die because of natural causes or age or disease. They chose to leave their body as it was time. And yeah, he, it's, I, I totally agree that if you're in a certain level of um, awareness, understanding, mind frame, that aging is something that, you know, aging I think comes from a sort of entropy within the mind uh, a degrade degrading of the mind just like sickness comes from the mind first yeah and it's it's all wrapped up in the concept of time yeah you know because it's the obsession over the birthday oh another year older yeah you know or never tell a woman it's, her it's, ask a woman her yeah, age yeah it's or... <laughs> these rituals around the idea of aging yeah, yeah. you know yeah so yeah, speaking of these cycles and time, he Thoth goes on to say that know ye the cycles are moving in order, that life and death are but stages in space. And that kind of, you know, it, it makes me think of like, you know, that earth is this, you know, this is ground and, you know, this ground in space where souls come and the death is just, an, is just movement through space, literally. Like once you die, you're, you're, 
your um, I can't remember if it's the ka or ba. I think it's the ba that's the the bird one. Yeah, the ba is the bird. Yeah, and your ba lives on, and it just moves through another stage in space. And space is your astral body, really, right? Yeah, it's your astral body, and in space is a and it's it's a the great school. That's what the Egyptians were saying. You know, the space is the great school, and that the different planets, the celestial bodies, the stars are all different like paths and rites within this initiation and that's why they say that you know in the old old text before christianity came in ancient egyptian temples they said jesus or his old name yeshua was the son yeshua was the son of god and it was written son as an s-u-n and this is talking to one of the higher planes of initiation and that's the sun consciousness and yeah. that's why Jesus is always depicted with rays of light and emanating this holy energy because he was a great initiate from the sun sphere. The sun sphere is where we go to move on through the planetary initiatory cycles. Um, and after Earth, you know, we come through to Venus and then Venus is the stepping stone to the sun. And then from the sun, you know, we go on to those higher initiatory places like the Pleiades or Sirius and, and things like that. Channel to the sun as well, I, I feel, comes through the heart. So you can channel through to the sun, right, connect Venus. with the sun, Venus, the heart. through the heart, because yeah. then Jesus is always pointing to his heart as yeah. well. So that's a massive teaching. Um, that is the, the teaching of Christ consciousness, right. you know? Yeah. And, and then when you're thinking about Egypt, you know, we just, I don't know whether we discussed it on the podcast, but we've discussed it many times together about, you know, how obviously, um, you know, you Jesus Christ and Mary is just another retelling from. Yeah, Isis I, and Osiris. Isis and Osiris, yes. Yeah, and even... Um, because these are archetypes. And, and even, like, whether, um, you know, these souls or archetypes really did exist like that do think there's a chance they really did exist and these uh you know stories that could well be real um they could just be you know other um incarnations you know right. of the same soul yeah i definitely right? think jesus is an avatar you know, in the, in the series of Avatar, he in the legend of Aang and Korra, and they're they're linked through a heritage of past lives. Yeah, it's like and, your soul's past lives. Right, and and the prophet Yeshua, you know, and the mother Mary incarnates multiple times mm. in in civilizations, and you know, the Osiris and Isis myth is is very famous and it's it talks about the for the female isis the immaculate conception and for the male osiris the the um rebirth the dying and coming back to life the resurrection so yeah we have these themes all kind of yeah a very powerful um teachings and it's interesting that they're both through like a man and a woman um, I guess I think that they kind of, you know, resonate a lot with that sex. So for women, that is a very 
high consciousness if you were able to, you know, produce a child without a man. Yeah, you better not tell me you've immaculately conceived. <laughs> <laughs> I won't believe you now. <laughs> Be on Jerry Springer. Yeah. So, yeah, Tablet 10 kind of wraps it up with the understanding of nature, time, and reality, and the interconnectedness of all things, the cyclical nature of time, and he emphasizes the importance of the vibrational nature of reality and how everything in the universe is connected through energy. Tablet 11 is the key to above and below, and he talks a lot here about these lords within the halls of Amenti and the lords of nine, and there's very cryptic things like there are four gates and 12 corridors and things like that which I know have a meaning mm. and they're all spoken in numbers so that might be something for you to analyze um, yeah and he quotes though in tablet 11 know ye that in the pyramid I built are the keys that shall show ye the way into life I draw ye a line from the great image I built to the apex of the pyramid built as a gateway Draw ye another opposite in the same angle and direction. Dig ye and find that which I have hidden. There shall ye find the underground entrance to the secret hidden, secrets hidden before ye were men. Mm. Yeah, and he says all exists is one through tablet 11 and serves as a guide to individuals to seek the, and understand the relationships between the physical and spiritual realms. And 12, second to last, the law of cause and effect and the key of prophecy. And it's the subject of karma, of cause and effect, and that actions have repercussions. And it's very Buddhist in its essence as well. And Thoth tells us that that the future, if we know that we can know the future, if we know the cause of the future, which is kind of what we were having our own private discussion about timelines the other day. Yeah. Um, that you, it's like, it's almost like if you know the causes of the future and the causes of the future are caused by your own manifestation and will, what you're bringing into the universe, you will know the future. And there are probably multiple futures, you know? Yeah, depending on how open-minded the individual is. Right. And it says man will progress. Um, so he says, Thou warns of wars which will have the races of men in half. Then men shall again conquer the ocean and the air. And once man has harnessed the lightning, electricity, the great wars will shake the earth. And when the sons of the morning come to guide man, the ancient home of my people will rise from its place neath the dark ocean waves. Man will progress until he dissolves into the light and becomes one with the source. I, in a time that is yet unborn, all shall be one and one shall be all. Mm. It's very beautiful. And he kind of talks about prophecy. And he's saying that when men conquer the ocean, the air, ships, planes, you know, we're already there. When men is harnessed lightning, electricity, mm -hmm. there will be great wars and there are great wars and there have been great wars. And eventually 
we will move on from that and apparently the ancient home of Atlantis will rise again. Who knows if this is from like some sort of great cataclysmic shift that causes the tides of nature to turn and you know maybe some recessing of the ocean water because we know that Tibet used to be underwater. There's fish bones, well, we know that fossils, yeah. you know, all within the Tibetan peaks of the mountains. So we want, we know that Tibet was actually underwater once. So the fact that it's above ground now, we don't know how drastically our landscape can change. We had one continent, Pangaea was a thing, and then it broke up into all the things we are yeah, now. Remember you know? when we was researching Madagascar and they had like a whole zone that was underwater that you can mm. walk around. Um, but we we know also that our sea levels are rising rapidly, yeah. And big change is gonna come. Like you know, a lot of islands and um, mm. you know, sea towns aren't gonna probably last that long. Definitely yeah. not the next hundred years. Probably not the next fifty. Yeah. Thoth goes on to kind of say that all his visions will become real. And we've already started to see some of his visions from this old, old text that was written long before airplanes and ships and electricity. Yeah. But yeah. then it's like, he's had it, like, just... <laughs> you know, just to, I don't know, play the devil's advocate. He, he's had a long time for these few predictions to, <laughs> to manifest. Yeah. It's a very long time. Yeah. Because we, you know, we give a psychic a hard time if their manifestations didn't come true in a year or two. He's right. had, He's had a long time for his predictions to happen. And he, he talks in great cosmic cycles, so I'm not thinking he's saying it's going to happen in a year. Yeah. You know, and for, I think, what he's talking about eventually where, you know, we ascend to the light that's not just going to be oh yeah maybe in the next 100 years i think that's that's another big cycle yeah. you know a couple thousand years if not a hundred yeah it kind know. of like yeah it just sucks to to not be here at those times or who knows who well we are at those times because everything's happening <laughs> it's now. all happening now time doesn't so, exist that's said and yeah, so t Tablet 12 is just um, explaining, yeah, the law of cause and effect and the key of prophecy. And yeah, the, yeah, that's what we just wrote yeah. about. I wasn't sure if I clarified yeah. that as Tablet 12. Yeah. And so that was the last tablet. We did 13, it. 13. Oh. Well, you guys will have to read Tablet 13 you for yourself. two extras, 14 and yeah, 15, there so are. there must be 13. Yeah, I forgot about Tablet 13. So you guys will have to... Oh, we have no research You, you guys will 13. have to find that one yourself. Damn it. Um, yeah. But I will tell you what it's called. Let me just quickly search it up. Tablet 13 Emerald Tablet Name. <laughs> Actually, I think I have a... Here. Um... No, that's not it. I think here. No, that's not it either. Uh, that's not it. Here? No, here. That was... Uh... Okay, fuck. I can't find it. <laughs> I don't think like, we've ever had a moment like this on the podcast, so it's interesting. <laughs>
Oh, well, I can't find it, but... Okay, well, apparently <laughs> there, there is 13, so... Yeah. Um, thanks for sticking with us through 12. And yeah. We'll never know about 13. Just be something... It's obviously that we're not, and the people listening right now, we're not ready for 13. Because <laughs> remember, information always finds you when you're ready. And maybe we just wouldn't get it, you know? Mm. Like, maybe we would... It would not, we wouldn't understand it correctly and we wouldn't share the information as the way it was meant to be shared. So, yeah. you know, I just believe when it's not spiritually there yet. Yeah. Where is it? <laughs> I can't find it. Won't let me find yeah, it. Yeah, because it's not meant to be. It's like to the signs. It's a sign. <laughs> all right, all right. As all the right. name of this podcast, it's a sign that we, yeah. We wouldn't get it even if we read it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, guys. We won't be back in France for like a month. A bit less, less. Than, a bit less than a month. So we'll be hopping around so you guys will see different locations. The last time we'll be here. But um, yeah, apologize for the poor lighting. Um, it's a nice rainy, cozy day in London. And... <laughs> Yeah, we are excited to um, jump in next time. Maybe we'll explore the conspiracy side of Isaac Newton and his alchemical research. And he, who knows? Or that would be interesting. Yeah. But yeah, anyways. Thanks for watching, guys. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you're listening and watching this. And we will see you next time. Bye. See you in the halls of the mentee. <laughs>